Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Ladies and gentlemen, we at the Platinum Sabero Podcast are brought to you by Manscaped. You know, I've got Italian blood, which means a number of things. It means I talk with my hands. I'm doing it right now, but you can't tell. I've got a propensity for putting too much garlic in everything. And it also means I'm kind of a hairy individual. Not alarmingly so, but I do need to tend to my body hair occasionally. And when I do, there's only one product I use, and that's Manscaped. This is completely legit, by the way. They sent me a package for my package, and this thing delivers. Their lawnmower 2.0 has skin-safe technology. Make sure I don't ding my bat wing while I'm trimming down there. Strictly designed for occasions just like this. And now, lucky me, I don't have to use the same trimmer for my face beard as I have to for my other beard. They also have an anti-chafing ball deodorant called the Crop Preserver that makes removing your drawers a pleasant experience for everybody. Um... You will not cause your lover to recoil in olfactory horror. It will allow you to trim the hedges without making it anybody else's business. It can be a fun little surprise for your favorite bedroom partner or anyone you flash on the street in case you feel like opening up your trench coat. If you go to manscaped.com, enter our promo code armchair, you'll get 20% off the first order with free shipping. All that stands between you and a silky smooth set of nuts is an internet connection. Your balls will thank you if you use Manscaped. Welcome everybody to the Platinum Sombrero. I believe this is episode 90? Could be 91? Uh, I think it's kind of undecided depending on how we view the emergency broadcast, so I think it might be episode 90. But regardless, it is the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair Media. We got some more fun stuff to talk about this week. Um, not anything quite as fantastic as you know the Braves signing the top reliever on the market to a gigantic deal, but there was another Braves reliever that the Braves have brought back this season in one Chris Martin, who I believe 
is one of the key components to this bullpen for one very special reason. Doc, you know what that reason is, but I'm going to leave this as a little semi-tease before we get into it. Before we really discuss Chris Martin, we do got to say, Yasmani Grandal, for all of my Braves, my fellow Braves fans who were Yasmani Grandal uh, acolytes and advocates this season, unfortunately, he has just been signed by the Chicago White Sox for a gigantic deal. Was it 4 and 83 I believe it was the deal four and seventy three. Four and seventy three, yeah, making eighteen and a quarter million for each of the next four years. Not Basically. bad work if you can find it. Not bad money at all. Basically makes the same as he would make with the qualifying offer. Instead, he gets a four-year deal. And uh, it's, the, it's the rare case where somebody bets on themselves and actually wins. Uh, you, don't, you don't see that happen all the time in today's day and age. Uh, I always think of Mike Moustakis who tried that, and it's not going to work out for him as as far as I can tell, Moustakis is not going to get near the type of money that Grandall does, and it's because the catching market is so barren that a guy like Grandall, who has big power, is a really good framer, and is a great defensive catcher, that you can kind of overlook the fact that stat-wise, he's basically Mike Moustakis, but he plays a much more in-demand position that kind of makes him stand out as far as everybody else. Compared to other catchers, I mean, he's basically the Max Scherzer of catchers right now. And I've I figured that the that the market for him is going to take a really really long time just because there's nobody in that same tier as him. What he offers as far as equal balance between he's a good hitter, but he also has power. He's a good defender, but he also can frame. It's not, not just about his lateral movements and his ability to have range behind the plate. I mean, he's kind of the full package there. And you could make a case that. I don't know, 17 different teams needed a catcher exactly like this, one of them being the Braves. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about teams we expected to be really aggressive in the offseason. You said the Angels, which I think you're absolutely right on, but I actually said the White Sox. So this this sets up to be um, the first of many moves for, for them. You know, the Braves and the White Sox went through their rebuilds at, at largely the, the same time, but the Braves have had some success so far, and the White Sox have not. So this is a really, really good move for Chicago, and I think – this has thrown a lot of Braves fans kind of into a sense of disarray and saying, I don't know what we're going to do behind the plate now. Because th- this is the guy. This is one of the big guys that you hope you land because he doesn't have a qualifying offer and for all of the, the actual baseball-related reasons I alluded to before. But good for him. You make a great point about him betting on himself. So many guys, they do it and they fall flat. Whether it's somebody in the draft saying, I'm going to go to school and come back out in three years and, and improve my stock and be a millionaire, and then they get hurt or something like that. He could have taken a big deal from the Mets last year, and he didn't because he knew he could get more. And as you see now, it worked. It absolutely did. It's, it's reminiscent of the Josh Donaldson signing. It's going to work for Donaldson as well, as I imagine he's going to get at least a three-year deal. Rumors are three years and $75 million being thrown around. Um it's a good day to be as Monty Grandal. I mean, he's the top catcher in the league, and this is something that, um, because of the scarcity of the position, it's going to put the Braves in a little bit of a bind, knowing full well they are not planning on starting Tyler Flowers every single game this year. Um, it, it does kind of deplete your options a little bit, and I promise we're going to talk about Chris Martin and the Braves in a second. But, Doc, you and I talk about this all the time, and I know I've been beating the drum for this for a while, but it does kind of lend a little bit more credence to my Contreras and Chris Bryant package for the simple fact that it's a trade with one team that fixes two major holes on your team and lengthens your lineup. It's going to cost, but I think those two teams match up about as well as any two teams possibly could in baseball right now, as the Braves have an absolute plethora of pitching prospects because 
There's nowhere else to store them in this totally revamped bullpen. And the Cubs have really no prospects, but especially no pitching prospects, as Adbert Alzale was really kind of their main guy last year. And Alzale is not anything spectacular, not anything like the Cubs are traditionally looking for to to round out the top of their roster. And as you're going to talk about with the state of the NL Central, the Braves having a plethora of guys that are right at the MLB level and able to, if the Cubs can make an adjustment or two with some of these guys, use them right away, could be a, det- a determining factor in getting a deal like this done. I mean, the the Cubs and the Braves, have, have they really do line up well. For you got, you Look at a guy like Tuki Toussaint. With this Chris, Chris Martin signing, then five or six of the bullpen spots are already taken. So if you're looking at carrying eight guys and you've got most of your righties already accounted for, then a guy like Tukey or a guy like Bryce Wilson, you start to wonder where they fit. Do you put them back in AAA for another year? Do you, you know, because both of those guys, they lost a lot of their prospect sheen last year. They still have some, but it's not it's not what it was going going into the year. So the Cubs need pitching and the Cubs need to shed payroll. Braves need a catcher, okay? Let's let's do this individually. Braves need a catcher. Wilson Contreras, you know, he he fits very, very well, I think. And he's got power. He's not quite as good of a hitter, but he does have a lot of really good power. Good defender. Framing still a work in progress. You let him work with, with Flowers for a little bit or a guy like Sal Fasano. That could continue to evolve. Logical target. But he's going into his first year of arbitration. He's projected to make... Four and a half, is that right? Four and a half million. Which for what he offers, stellar. But if the Cubs are trying to shed payroll, that doesn't really move the needle much. So you start looking at expanding the deal. I know you were super passionate about you, Darvish, coming here. I just don't know if I could see that coming. But you start looking at those levels of deals that are on that team to be moved. Jason Hayward, that's another one. You know, the the pang of nostalgia in my heart forever wants Jason Hayward to be here. But when I start thinking about yeah, him versus Nick Marcakis, how much of a difference are you really going to get? Because Hayward's 30 now. We remember him being the 20-year-old hot prospect, and now he's just making $22, $23 million. I mean, he's making a ton. So when you start looking at filling other holes, Chris Bryant, right-handed hitting third baseman who you could slot and clean up. I mean, it's a match made in heaven. He's making basically the same amount of money that Josh Donaldson was making. If you could pair him and Contreras together, that is an absolutely massive deal. It allows the Braves to unload some of that prospect capital. It's going to send the Braves farm system into the tank, but it's going to be there in the next couple of years anyway. And the Cubs need a reset. I mean, everybody in the NL Central last year, it was like they were passing off like, hey, who wants to win the division? Oh, not me. You know, which is how the Cardinals wound up surging late in the in the game. You know, the Brewers, they just lost Grandall, and things are looking kind of bleak there. They traded Chase Anderson, who wasn't even great, but he was one of the few innings-eating pitchers that they had to begin with. Cardinals are more than likely losing Ozuna, and a lot of what they did was kind of mirage-driven. I would be astonished if Jack Flaherty is able to be the pitcher he was in the second half for all of next year. I mean, I think he was... The truth is somewhere in the middle for him. I think the Reds are really well positioned to, to make a giant move and just kind of get out of the mess that's right in front of them. So the Cubs are in a situ- situation to recalibrate, and they could do a lot worse than looking at the Braves system and saying, we want this guy, this guy, and this guy. And you've got Austin Riley, who kind of 
fits the Chris Bryant light mold on paper. Primarily third baseman, plays left field, except, and he's got big power, but you also, um, you save yourself about $18 million if you're Chicago in that scenario. So match made in heaven for me. I love the idea of Bryant Contreras, but I tell you what, they do that, that is going to hurt. That is going to hurt big time if you like prospects. Sorry, Andy. I know it's going to hurt, but I, I don't think it's going to hurt as much as a lot of us think it's going to. I mean, I, we keep gearing ourselves up for this, but aside from the Cubs ruining their own farm system for a guy of Jose Quintana's caliber, you haven't really seen any massive, massive deals going down, even for good players. And with Bryant, it's important to note that you're going to have to wait to hear the ruling as to whether or not he's got one year or two years of control. Now, if that ruling comes back and he's got two years of control to go along with the two years of extra control on Contreras now, then yeah, it's going to be a big deal. But if it's centered around pitching and Austin Riley is the main position headliner, then I don't really think it hurts the Braves all that much. It's not like the Braves are a team that has a ton of openings anyway. Like as, Aside from Pache and Waters, who I don't think are moving unless you're talking about like a Francisco Lindor type of deal, Like aside from those two... There's not really any other spaces for position players anyway. I mean, you're talking Freddie's locked in. We expect him to get an extension any day. Ozzy is firmly locked in. Uh, Acuna definitely going to be there. You talk about Pache and Waters. Those are the two corner outfields for the future. I mean, where else are you looking at? Third base, there's not really any prospects in the system. CJ Alexander is very intriguing, but he's not going to be ready yet, especially coming off the injury last year. You can talk about what Austin Riley is, but if you're telling me that I can get what I know Chris Bryant is, versus what I think Austin Riley might be if everything hits his way, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a big deal when you factor in that you've already got Mike Soroka and Max Fried locked into spots. Uh, Fulty's going to be coming back this year at least. Uh, but you talk about guys like Kyle Muller, Ian Anderson, Tucker Davidson, who's on the 40-man this year, and you should all be watching out for. Uh, Waskari Noah, who, who's got some good value now. Patrick Weigel, who's experienced starting and relieving. Uh, you talk about a lot of guys, Jaciel De La Cruz on the 40-man now. There, there's a lot of arms in this same area here that, aside from Ian Anderson, who is definitively above everybody else, as far, and definitively aside from Kyle Wright, but defini- definitively a, a ahead of everybody else in prospect rankings, you've got a lot of these guys that are in the same range as far as ranking-wise for prospects. The Braves can afford to overpay, and they've stockpiled this up to the point that they almost have to now. Because if you're talking about putting Tukey and Bryce back in AAA, all you're doing is you're losing a year's worth of their service time, basically. I mean, you've already had them up on the 40-man. You've already had them up on the big league roster. You've already started their clock. I mean, you have to you have to figure something out with them. Uh, and if you don't think that... Say you don't trust that Tukey's going to ever have enough command to be a starter... Well, just because you think that doesn't mean somebody else is going to think that. And Tukey still has that amazing 12-6 curve. He still has a ton of, of great potential. If you're not a team that can use him in the bullpen this year or really even next year, but for this year essentially, that's a guy that a lot of other teams are going to look at and go, yeah, I'll take that risk. I mean, he's still a high-profile guy. Bryce Wilson is a guy that has an amazingly high floor because you know at the very least he's going to throw strikes. I mean, th- th- there's a lot that the Braves can do here and I'm not saying that they'll remain like the fifth best prospects, but they're not going to drop to like the 20th farm system if they make this deal. That's why I think that it's important to look at matchups. So if you're talking like, let's say you wanted to get crazy, and this is just a guy that I would love to see. Let's say that the Braves wanted to get Jorge Polanco uh, from Minnesota and move him to third base. 
that's going to be a higher prospect cost because the teams don't match up as well. I don't even know if, if, if Minnesota would want to trade him, but theoretically, everybody has a price. So if you're going to try to get Jorge Polanco, you're going to spend a lot more out of your prospect pool than you would for a team like the Cubs who desperately have to get better because they started everybody's clock at the same time. So they've got to figure out Javi Baez, they've got to figure out Anthony Rizzo, and they've got to figure out something with the pitching because John Lester's getting ancient now. Jose Quintana's not what they thought he would be, and they haven't had anybody else. Kyle Hendricks is old. They don't have anybody else who's really stepped up and said, hey, we're going to be that guy in a very winnable division. Yeah, this is all true. And and we kind of alluded to, to spots that are that are no longer going to be open. I mean, this, this Chris Martin signing is pretty huge for a number of reasons. What it does for the Braves in 2020, what it says about their their intentions in 2021 with building out the payroll in future years too. And, and what it means for some of these younger guys. I mean, they're Tukey. You don't want to say that he's had, Oh, just so many opportunities. He's had some, but I mean, if they gave him any more opportunities and he kept performing the way that he did, then his prospect capital keeps going low, 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 low. And, and you can't, you can't necessarily have that if you're trying to capitalize on, on these guys. So, I love what the Braves have done with their bullpen. I trust Chris Martin a lot more than I trust any of the other guys that are in there. And you do really have to, you got to do something with these guys. It's really good that they were able to get something for Colby Allard. And, and as, as fate would have it, it is Chris Martin. But but he was a guy that just kind of toiled and, and made it really close, but he was never able to make it all the way there. So... This is the year, I think. Everything that I'm looking at is pointing towards this being like the big offseason, the big prospect trade, and I think this Martin deal underscores it even more, man. Whether it's the Cubs or somebody, something's going to happen, and it's going to be humongous. Yeah, I, I think you and I especially, but a lot of Braves fans have been waiting for this prospect trade to happen for probably about the last three years now. Once we've noticed the stockpile, especially of pitchers, the thought process behind gathering all those arms was you can turn arms into position players. So we're at that point finally where we have to expect it as uh, docs dogs are very angry at somebody. We're, we're at this point where you have to see some of these pitchers get gone before you start lessening their value just by the very fact that you have no spots for them. So the longer they spend in AAA, the less their value is going to be to other teams because it's going to be assumed that if they were great, they'd already be up there. That's going to be the talking point in negotiations. Whether or not you or I know that it's just because the team is deep, when you're talking about trade negotiations, it's not necessarily about what's the honest truth. It's about what's the best way to get your deal done. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is the year that you see prospects moved. I think it's going to be from that pitching surplus because if the Braves truly believe in Soroka and Freed, which they do, you're talking about three spots left among those guys. We know that they're going to want to go for a top-of-the-rotation guy. I've got a name in mind that I, I think is the best fit for the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos going by his normal MO. We'll talk about that later. Um, and that would take a multi-year deal. So you're talking about three guys fit right there. you got to figure what they're going to do with Fulton Evich. If he has another good year, I would assume they're going to bring him back again. But you've got potentially two spots at that point to go between, what, seven, eight, nine pitchers who are basically at the same level at the moment? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of redundancy in there. And if nothing else, they owe themselves owe it to themselves to start clearing out some of the redundancy. We talked before the show about, like, Luke Jackson versus Shane Green. Now, this gets out of the, the prospect trade talk. But, I mean, if, if you're looking to make some type of big deal, let's use Mookie. 
Mookie Betts, as an example, and he's going to make like $27 million next year. And if the Braves can afford to absorb some payroll and the Red Sox are trying to get under the, the luxury luxury tax threshold, oh, that is a tough one, then you start looking at where you can shed active payroll to say, so instead of taking on $27 million from Mookie Betts, we're taking on $20 million because we traded some prospects and Shane Green, or we traded um, some prospects and Indran Ciarte, who's uh, slated to make $8 million next year, I think. So anything you can do to kind of cut into that, I mean, if you're upping payroll, which it certainly appears that they are, then you don't have to be team stupid money necessarily. But when you start looking at what certain guys offer, like you're going to get pretty much the same thing out of Shane Green that you're going to get out of Luke Jackson. Now, a lot of people that hate both of those guys think that that is just the worst sentence in the English language, and I get it. But it's the same thing for prospects. Like, if you think you're going to get the same thing from Kyle Wright as you are from Bryce Wilson, then there's no reason to just let one sit and collect dust and let the better part of his career, like the early part of it, like, don't let that go to waste. Trade him for somebody, because somebody could use him. You're right. Just because Tukey hasn't been really great at throwing strikes here, that doesn't mean that Boston wouldn't look at him and say, we are in love with this guy's stuff. We think we can work with this. And gambling on players that you feel like you can dream on, this is why deals wind up, in hindsight, more often than not, they wind up just being like, oh, they traded big-name guy for, who are these guys? You look back at the proposed Barry Bonds trade in 1992, it was Alejandro Pena, who was a reliever, Keith Mitchell, who wound up being nothing, and just a prospect. And this is for one of the, for asterisk or not, the most prolific home run hitter in the history of baseball. And so you look back on it now, and you're just like, eh, okay. It may have seemed like it hurt at the time, but when you look at the long-term ramifications, like you, you just can't, even for as, as much as we pinned our hopes on prospects for years and years, you, at a certain point, you have to let them go and say, we want to win a World Series now, and you know, we'll, we'll FaceTime Tukey during the locker room celebration, and we hope he misses us, but you know, we, we need to, to use him or any of these other guys. That, look at a guy like Wasker Inoa, or you know, he, his path is blocked. He's got no real future here, I don't think. So... Trade him to somebody. Bring in, bring in some big names. Because like, because what are you going to do? I mean, you you trust Chris Martin and Mark Melanson, and maybe you trust Shane Green, and you trust Will Smith, and you know, four times out of seven, you trust Luke Jackson. So, I don't know, man. I I'm just I'm ready to see what happens next. That's always the question when you see signings like this, and they just dropped twenty two and a half million dollars in the bullpen in the last two and a half weeks. You don't you don't make those moves unless you're planning on keeping going. So, this is the year, man. This really is the year. You heard it here ninth. Ab- <laughs> absolutely, it, it's that time, and and I think you're absolutely right when you talk about Martin. By the way, two years, fourteen million, so seven million a year, a little bit more than I thought he would get. But as I've mentioned a number of times, and as Doc has mentioned, what Chris Martin gives you is you know somebody's who's not going to walk. Somebody. I believe he walked one person as a Brave. I think he had five, he had five walks all of last year, so it was only one walk as a Brave. Uh, it was like in his first or second game with them too. But it's somebody that you're in a base-loaded situation or whatever, you can trust Chris Martin to go out there and to at least make them earn it or, or put the ball in play. He gets a lot of ground balls. He's 6'8". He throws the ball harder than just about anybody else in this bullpen. And he, he can rack up strikeouts too. Chris Martin is a guy that I actually liked him more than the other two bullpen acquisitions. Uh, I know a lot of people love Shane Green, but I think a lot of that is based off of the fluky first half of last year. Over the course of his career, Shane Green has not been a, a 
a particularly great reliever. Not saying that I want to get rid of him, but I'm just saying that it's more to say how much I, I really like Chris Martin, especially when you get into the story as a guy who was uh, thought highly enough of to be drafted twice to come back to school. He got injured, uh, didn't get drafted after 2016, went to Japan and worked on his mechanics comes back and and has a really really valuable role he's a guy that you can put into any situation in a game because he's not going to to hurt himself he's going to make other teams earn it sometimes they'll beat him sure because he's going to give up a lot of contact or he's going to give up contact at least because batters know he's not going to walk him but i'd prefer that than having somebody like mo cabrera who might be able to throw 102 but and he might strike out 16 per nine but he's also going to walk eight per nine i think uh, having a chris martin is essential for for big-time clubs because you have to have somebody in a situation that you know is going to throw strikes. And Chris Martin is going to be that guy for the Braves. And with Will Smith and Mark Melanson and Shane Green, if, if everything is accurate and they end up bringing him back like everybody expects, Martin is going to be freed up to be basically used wherever he is needed. Whatever situation you need somebody who's going to throw strikes, Martin is open to do. You don't have to worry about saving him for the seventh or the eighth as a setup guy. You can use him if you've got some problems in the sixth inning you can go ahead and bring in Martin. It doesn't matter. This is what great teams do, and this is the other part of, of when you go through a rebuild is great teams are not always going to, they're not going to rely on rookies and second-year guys. They're going to go out and they're going to get great guys to fill positions, and quite frankly and bluntly, the guys that we've got right now are better than the prospects that are behind them. So... Sorry, that, that's just the breaks. It's not any ill will towards anybody that we ever talk about trading. Doc and I love basically all of our prospects in the system, especially now that Colby Allard is gone. I love all the prospects that we have. I don't want to see any of them go. But unfortunately, th- that's the breaks. That's what happens when you get 25,000 pitchers. And I, I love the way that this is architected as well because you, you, you look at the five guys that you've got in the bullpen now. You've got Darren O'Day who tops out at like 90 you know, but he's throwing from a, such a deceptive angle, side armor guy. You've got Luke Jackson, who's throwing 97, but also have a has a wipeout slider. Then you have Will Smith, who also has a wipeout slider from the other side, but he's not like an elite velocity guy. You've got Chris Martin, who's a control artist, who touches 97, 98. You've got Shane Green, who is the most underwhelming out of all of these guys because he's he's not flashy he's not going to strike out like third nice word. You know, well i mean he's not he's not going to strike out 14 per nine but he's also not going to have a total implosion either at least he didn't last year melanson has a really long track record and has got closers blood you know what i mean like all of these guys that is stout that is really really stout five right there so by the way, more to your point on the Cincinnati Reds real quick. Were you aware that they acquired Jose De Leon last night? I was. That was part of the 40-man protection thing that they wound up stumbling across him. So that, they were um, – I told you, man. They The Reds are not afraid to start to, to look at some guys like that. Whether he can be impactful, I don't know. De Leon is, is an outstanding talent. He just has never had the ability to stay healthy before. Yeah, at one point he was like uh, top 30 prospect in the game when he was still with the Dodgers. Yeah. And um, just getting back to the bullpen real quick, I I love the way that this is constructed. Even if I'm not the biggest Darren O'Day fan, if you tell me that Darren O'Day is basically going to be used to end off an inning, because remember, the new bullpen rules are going to be in place where uh, it's going to be a full, I think they're discussing it being a full inning that they have to do now instead of it being, it has to be three outs instead of three batters unless they're ending an inning. Well, a guy like Darren O'Day is going to be somebody that does pretty well against lefties because he's got such an awkward angle. 
Um, Chris Martin's a guy that does well against both, especially because you know he can control. Will Smith, it's you know, doesn't matter who he's facing. Mark Melanson's pretty good against either. Shane Green can be hit or miss, but when his two seam is working, he can get lefties out just as easy as his righties. The Braves have built a very balanced bullpen. They're not even though they're mostly right-handed in there, they don't have anybody that's got just these insane splits against the other side. So I'm, I'm feeling really confident that what was a big detriment to the Braves in the postseason last year, they, they've noticed that that was the big one. So they went around and spent a ton of money. And if you see anybody spending $22.5 million just in bullpen pieces, the correct log- logic would, would dictate that they're going, to, they're going to spend more on position players. And for Braves fans, that is music to my ears. And just today, about an hour before we started recording, a story came out that uh, Mike Plant, who is the president and CEO of the Braves Development Company, uh, at, a, at an investor conference uh, by Liberty Media in New York on Thursday, he would quote it, and I quote, we are set up to win and we're going to go after it. I want to say that again. We're set up to win, and we're going to go after it. Like, that. what does that do to you? I know what it does to me, and I don't need a blue chew. Let me just put it like that, okay? that This right here, as soon as I read that, I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do with myself. If now there is a real intention to go out and up the opening day payroll, would you say it was? It was 117 at the start of last 117 and some change. Okay. There's... Oh my God, you don't spend that much money. Like you said, you don't spend that much money on your bullpen only to just like put band-aids on everything else. Like I think this is, I'm having trouble controlling how excited I really am. I know, I know I I obviously sound like I'm about to burst here, but but like, I don't even know what to make of that statement without making these really bold claims that in six months I'm going to go back and really regret having been so cavalier about. I mean, this is, if I say, hey, we're going to up the payroll and we're going to do this, everybody can be like, yeah, okay. If you say it, it's the same thing. Or even if you start getting to like people that are more in the sphere of influence, right? But this is coming from like a team official who's like, we're going to go after this. You know, Anthopolis isn't going to come out and say it like that. He has a public image to maintain. Manasian's not going to come out and do it. Terry McGurk, Terry McGurk loves saving money. But now this is coming from somebody who's who's not beholden to the same rules, I guess, who's just like, whatever. This is the closest thing that this team has said to we're going to spend stupid money. Like how how big of a difference is this from saying we have financial flexibility to like, no, we're about to blow our wad here. I mean, it's fantastic. This is what people have been clamoring for the Braves to do for a long time. This is a team that got used to winning and just being better than everybody else. And for a long time under Ted Turner, they would spend a lot of money. Now we can debate the merits of that strategy and how Ted Turner ended up helping or hurting the Braves, particularly with the TV deal. But I think everybody is about tired of the Braves acting like they're a small market team. They're not. And as you see at the battery, I mean, it it makes money hand over fist. People love to go out and support the Braves. And Braves country is probably the most far-reaching fandom as far as the main team. In all of baseball, when you're talking about Tennessee, the Carolinas, and some of them are Nationals fans, but a lot of them are dumb, so we don't count them. Um, most of Florida are Braves fans, Alabama, Mississippi, yada, yada, yada. There, there's, there's just a, a, such a wide range of, of Braves fans, as you can, as evidenced by anybody who's born in the Southeast, is like essentially considered um, 
bringing some bringing him home talking about madison Baumgartner being from hickory north carolina and it's like yeah no no no, that's a braves guy that's braves country especially with uh, the tbs back in the day one of the main teams that everybody could watch it's really encouraging to finally hear at least it, at least it being intimated and i'm really trying not to get too over the moon about it because they kind of did the same tact last year oh we can shop in every aisle this sounds a lot more out front and saying yes we're going to as opposed to saying that oh well we can and leaving the door open well we just didn't i i i'm feeling really really strong right now i i do believe that spending that amount of money in your bullpen really does pretend to huge signings for the big club as well and a lot of money being spent especially knowing the braves have all basically all of their young studs under control with the exception of mike soroka and max freed who should they have seasons the same as they did a year ago, they'll get locked up too. Everybody else is essentially locked up for a long time, and they're all going to be young. None of them are going to be making huge money for a while. Freddie Freeman's going to make the most on the team. Um, th- this is an exciting time, and I'm expecting to see good things from this Braves team. Whether that means my my dream of Wilson Contreras and Chris Bryant, I don't know. But there's a lot of different methods, and there's a lot of different ways this Braves team can go. Even if they decide to get a little bit cheaper at third base and go Mike Moustakis and, and bring in Marcelo Zuna to, to be that big power bat uh, and lengthen your lineup and relegate Nick Marquegas to the fourth outfielder role like he should be, I, who knows? Who knows? There, there's a lot of things that can happen in this offseason, and it's very, very early, but I, for one, am really excited to see where it ends up. Same thing, and now... Now the waiting game starts starts in earnest. It, it was fine. It was fine until we signed Will Smith. And, you know the O'Day thing. It was kind of just like you know you, we didn't know that that more was going to be coming on the back end of this. So just a random Friday afternoon sign. I'm like, oh, that's that's quaint. That's nice. And then the Smith thing just came out of nowhere, and that that kind of got everything going. And now with Martin being resigned and uh, Yasmani Grandal coming off the market, I mean that's a that's a big name. So. Maybe, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the timing of the offseason and how maybe, you know, this is just the new norm anymore. I don't think players really like that, even if it's in the agent's best interest to to up what the player gets so they get a, a higher cut. Then, you know, you can see it from that point. But if you're Yasmani Grandal and you're, you know, say your agent gets a million dollars out of your deal, which is probably a ton, then you still get $72 million. I think that, you know, the money's nice, but at the same time, just being able to go through Thanksgiving in Grandal's case or whoever signs early next month, you know, you get to go through Christmas and or Hanukkah and just say, like, I don't have to stress about not having a job into January, February or June if you're like Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell. I think that the players are, are going to be maybe a little more enthusiastic about just locking it up and saying, you know, I'll sacrifice a million dollars if I can sidestep a whole load of bull crap in the offseason. You know what I mean? So hopefully that's what we see and we, it can be more like a steady trickle instead of just the, the past two years have been just a mess, you know, and maybe it's because we were conditioned for, for things to be the nice steady trickle. And I think that, that maybe this, this is the year that it, that it gets back to that. So Braves have been aggressive up until today. You know, they'd spent more than every other team in the league combined on free agents. So We'll see, man. And and because Anthopolis works in total silence, it's going to hit all of us like a ton of bricks. Absolutely, and, and it's got to drive a lot of the beat guys crazy. But as it is, we're going to talk a little bit more about free agency as we come back. As 
This year seems to be setting a different example. There might be one key reason why. We're also going to talk about the 40-man and why there's one omission that should not have you freaked out. And we'll, we'll, we will calm you down when we come back from break right after this right here on the Platinum Sombrero. everybody welcome back to the platinum sombrero brought to you as always by our good friends at my bookie my is the number one online sports book in the world whether you like to bet on nfl college football nba basketball hockey maybe if you're a real derelict and you like to bet on horseshoes or, or ping pong whatever it is you can find a line on mybookie.ag they've got the most lines of any sports book online they've got the most updated lines all the best numbers and the most prop bets of anyone in the business mybookie.ag really easy to go to and if you're a neophyte if you're pretty new you don't have to worry as much if you have a question about any line there is no such thing as a stupid question well there is but they're not going to make you feel stupid for asking Go to mybookie.ag, talk to their customer support staff, and you will get help finding the best way to enjoy your sportsbook experience. Mybookie.ag, if you use our promo code armchair, that is armchair, they are going to give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000 on your initial deposit. So if you've been on the fence about making uh, an account there or really getting started, don't make the mistake. Use our promo code armchair and get basically $1,000 worth of free money or whatever you decide to put in. You decide to put in $100, bucks, an extra 100 bucks there. You're doubling your profit without having to actually spend any of your money. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you have a great time. Okay, so before the break, I kind of threw out the little tease about uh, the aggressiveness of this offseason and whether or not it might have a specific cause. Uh, I don't know if this is real. This is just kind of something that popped into my head while we were talking about it. Uh, I wonder if the aggressiveness of this offseason with the Braves and now the White Sox making big-time moves and two big-time players coming off the board right away instead of waiting until February, uh, I wonder if this has anything to do with the impending labor strike and MLB trying to maybe earn some goodwill or if it's more just a case of maybe there's some some more intriguing options on the table than there were last season at this time. I think that it probably could be a combination of both. I mean, last year it was really top-heavy with Bryce and Manny, and now you you see a lot more of the kind of 1B or uh, Tier 2 type guys. You know, there's some some really, really good, really, really good players that are out there for this time. And, and in order to avoid a strike, which... I don't know if they're really going to be able to do. I mean, these labor negotiations have been tense. I mean, as soon as they wrapped up negotiations for the last CBA, there was still that feeling of, okay, there's still a really, really long way to go on this stuff. And we're, let's see, 25 years after the strike? And it's taken a long time. Like, it took a steroid era. It took a whole lot of different different things to, to get fans back engaged in the game and you know, everybody loves home runs, and I think that, that people really needed the steroid era to happen. I would be surprised if Bud Selig and friends weren't at least um, aware that that was going on and kind of took a blind eye to it. But in order to avoid all of the damage that's going to come with not just another strike, but 
the second one in 25 years. Everybody's going to have to work together. And if this is a concerted effort with players and agents that are really trying to say, like, yeah, we, we can't have that happen again, then, you know, then the owners are going to have to do their part, too. And th- it's it's just a mess. And, and it's very partisan. And it's it mirrors real-life politics where it's more about um, principle-based resistance on certain things where, where it's just because of who you are and how you got there as opposed to saying, you know what, that actually makes a lot of sense. It takes it takes a lot for people to, to do that and suspend um, their ingrained beliefs for the for the sake of progress. So when you're looking at this, I mean, there's a lot at stake. There's so much money that's kicked around. And, you know, we'd say like, oh, he only signed for $73 million or whatever. Like, that's $73 million. <laughs> that's a lot of freaking money. So it's these are problems that we can't really fathom. But I think... Like I kind of alluded to at the end of the last segment, I mean, I think that there could there could really be more of a push to not wait around for even even for guys like Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. I think you you could see them say, you know, I'm not I'm not screwing around like that. I don't want to have spring training starting and not know where I'm going. You know, these guys have families; they they have wives and kids and and parakeets and and other exotic animals, and so you know they they need to know where everybody's going to be set up for the upcoming season. So. That's a really good point. I would have never thought about that on my own. And if there's one thing that everybody can agree on, it's that Tony Clark is an abysmal uh, players' union leader, players' union rep. Um, If I were a current player, I would have absolutely no confidence that he would get a good deal done, especially if you're going to a strike. He is um, not strong. Uh, I think that would be the kindest way to say. Uh, He's not the smartest as far as the baseball um, union is concerned, but... You know, that's also the player's fault for voting him in there and not replacing him. Uh, I, I do worry about a strike, especially with the way baseball is tending towards. Um, another strike would be difficult, and I was a little too young to really grasp the full ramifications of the strike in 94, since I was born in 91. But it's not something I want to go through now. Uh, there, there's too much money on the line. There's too much advertising on the line for baseball to really go through that again. So they're, they're going to have a lot of work cut out for them. I'm hoping against hope that they can figure something out. One of the things that is not going to work, though, is the ridiculous proposal to cut, like, 42 minor league teams. That is, uh, can we just say that that is definitely not going to avoid a strike? Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot made of minor league pay and how, how it needs to be more. And props to the Toronto Blue Jays for being the first organization to really get out there and say, we're going to pay these guys a lot more. And we don't care what the rest of the industry is doing. This is something that's important to us. But by cutting 42 teams to free up that money for redistribution, think about the damage that you're doing. You know, like the Danville Braves might cease to exist. The Florida Fire Frogs might cease to exist. Chattanooga Lookouts. I mean, that's like an hour from my house. That's the big one. Listen, where am I going to tell my kids that I almost hit a home run out of, that I should have hit a home run out of, if the Chattanooga Lookouts are gone? Right. It's a, it's a since-defunct ballpark. You know, you you know, it's not... You understand that that's like the peak of my athletic career, hitting one over that monster? Where am I going to Where am I gonna show that off at? I think you just wanted to, you just wanted to humble brag a little, a little bit there, buddy. No, I'm actually genuinely upset because it is one of the, like, the lookouts are, like, when you think minor league baseball, if you're a baseball person, the Chattanooga lookouts are, are generally the first team that comes to mind. Yeah. Them and the Durham Bulls, like, that that's what they are. Yeah. And they've been at that field forever. I've been to that field a thousand times just driving by. That is, like, that that is Chattanooga, basically. Like, 
everyone there is a Lookouts fan. They they always do really good at games. And it's just one of those things. And a lot of these towns that have minor league teams, they're generally they're small towns that don't have a lot going on. Think of the Rome Braves. What else goes on in Rome? I mean, Danville. Could you name anything in Danville besides the Braves? I mean, Rancho Cucamonga. I mean, aside from being a really cool in the spot of uh, workaholics, you you don't know any of these other towns or anything other than their minor league teams. One, you're going to kill the economic value in those in those regions. Yes, I get that it costs money to have those stadiums, but minor league baseball is kind of the last outlet for somebody who just wants to, like just the normal average Joe works a nine to five. Um, you know what? I want to go watch a game tonight and go grab his family, go to a minor league game and get four tickets, four really good tickets for 20 bucks. Yeah, and, and to go back to the Chattanooga Lookouts as an example, they played their first game in 1885. I mean, they predate most of the current major league teams, you know. The, just the whole situation with with minor league, I mean, it's just a catastrophe. When you look at what they make, and, you know, it's not dissimilar to musicians where it's like you got to be hungry, you got to want it, you got to work for less than you would if you were working a normal job because, you know, the it's high risk, high reward. The payout is humongous. If you hit it right, but as somebody who is trying to do that for a long time, you don't know about me because I'm a famous musician. You know what I mean? If you're listening to this, it's not it's not because I got really good at guitar or whatever. It's because, you know, I <laughs> after a certain point, you have to give the dream up to start making ends meet. You know what I mean? And it's going to be the same thing for all these minor leaguers. And it's such a shame because for how many minor leaguers you look at on a roster and say, okay, this guy, this guy, and this guy, they have the talent to make it, but do they have the opportunity? Do they have that work ethic? Do they have all of the different ingredients that go into it? I mean, you know so much better than me because you played in college. Like the amount of people that are getting a raw deal about this, it's too many. One is too many. And there's like thousands, actual thousands of real human people. They're not just like lines on a spreadsheet or whatever. I mean, these are real deal people. And yeah, good for the guys that the minor leaguers that are going to wind up getting paid more. But it sucks for the people that live in Chattanooga, Charleston, uh, Hagersville, Maryland. I mean, these these are all towns that have teams, and they're they're going to lose their livelihood. And and in some cases, where you know here you got the Rome Braves, you got got the Gwinnett Stripers, but it's not that far. Like even if you live in Rome, it's more convenient to go to a Rome game. But you want to go to the big Braves, they're right down the road technically, and that takes like an hour and a half. But like. What about the people that live in the middle of nowhere? You know what I mean? And this is the closest thing that they can they can take their sons to a, a minor league game or, or something like that. I don't know, man. It's it's too bad. It really just is so too bad. It, it, it just doesn't seem smart. One, you're going to take what already was an incredibly hard job to get, and you're going to make it even harder. Now, you could say that you're going to increase product because you're going to make it harder to get in, so it's going to be a little bit more... Um, what's the right word here? Uh, It's going to make it a little bit more of of a way to to sort who's better and who's not. But the problem is you've already got minor leaguers now and everybody has this weird notion for whatever reason, the people on the owner side of this, the random fans that just take the owner side, they've got this weird notion that every minor leaguer got like a couple million dollars signing bonus. But that doesn't happen. Most minor league, like there, there's this argument that uh, I saw it on Twitter, and yes, I inserted myself into it because why not? Um, where this this teacher is trying to bang on, she's trying to make the thing of pay teachers more, which yes, I support that too. Um, but a minor leaguer jumping on, like yeah, I made like sixty one hundred dollars, and a teacher being like, 
yeah, well, this isn't about you. This is about us. And people going, yeah, you guys make yada, yada, yada. Dude, do you guys not understand that minor leaguers that weren't drafted in like the top 10 rounds, they get basically nothing. And if you're not like a top five round pick, your signing bonus isn't anything special. Just look at the past Braves draft and look at the signing bonus for some of these guys. Like a lot of these guys are getting paid like 18K, which, you know, that might not be bad for an 18 year old, but try to have a house and pay for food and travel around and do anything today on $18,000 a year. It's not going to work. And even 18000 would be kind of high. You're talking about guys who are getting like $1,900 a month and, and just guys that we've talked to Patrick Weigel, who has to have a second job in the offseason in order to make some money. These are guys that are expected to do that, make some money with a second job, and yet still somehow find the time to practice and work at their craft enough to get to the major leagues. Do you guys not understand the amount of work? Like People just don't know the type of work that these guys are putting in to what they're getting paid. It's not as bad as the NCAA but it's most certainly not good at all. It, it is not a is not a well paying job to be a minor leaker. And it's it's easy to to look at you know the game is on. It takes three hours, and but there's so much more that goes into like if if you play six games a week, and those are those are all capped at exactly three hours, then you're looking at eighteen hours just for in game time. But then that doesn't count batting practice, fielding drills, conditioning, like all of the different things that go into it. I mean, it's when you break it down to an hourly rate, you're looking at really, really, really low wages for these people, like less less than minimum wage. A lot of people tend to think, oh, it's it's a five-month job to be a minor leaguer. No, it's not, you dummy. Like the games happen for five months. The job is year-round. And you still have to stay in shape in the offseason with the – Notable exception of Luis Gajara and Pablo Sandoval, always. You know, you, you you still have to do all of the strength and conditioning. You have to stay strong. You have to, you know, because you don't want to reset the clock all the way back to zero. So when you show up for spring training, that you have to start from scratch. Like, you've got to stay, you've got to stay financially afloat. You have to stay physically afloat. It's just a lot. It's it's so much that that is asked of these guys because it's everybody's dream. Like. You know, some people dream of being doctors and astronauts and stuff, and and they give it up when they realize, like, oh yeah, getting your doctorate is really, really expensive. Be- becoming an astronaut or getting a job for NASA, you know, it's they're not great odds that you're going to wind up doing something like that. And the truth is, the odds of becoming a professional baseball player are probably actually I have no way to quantify that, but they're really, really long, infinitesimal. They're infinite, infinitesimal. Yeah. Something probably like. like- one one in a few thousand that make it. One in a, even you could say one in probably twenty five thirty thousand. There's probably even worse than that. But like, it's not like I'm advocating for you guys. Oh, you have to pay them all millions of dollars. I'm sure the players would love that, but that's not exactly feasible. But if you guys play MLB the Show, go in a franchise and sign a minor league guy to a double A team. Look at how much they offer. It's going to be one year and sixty one year and sixty thousand dollars for like the lowest one. Do you understand? Like that sixty thousand, that is not representative of what they actually get when they sign. Like it's all over Twitter. I've known people that have not played minor league baseball because it doesn't make enough money, so they can make a ton of money doing something else. So they go and they do something else, and they give up on the baseball dream because they're not going to make twelve thousand dollars a year to to work that much and work that hard and still have to have a second job anyway. Like, and I'm not just saying this to be like, what was the baseball player? I understand it. It's a it's a lot of work to get to the eventual trade off. But the point is. You're talking about the the theory behind a lot of this work is the most specialized people in the world get paid because they're specialized. Well, you can say that there's a lot of minor leaguers in the hundred and what hundred and fifty two minor league teams. 
if you add up all of those players, it's still only representative of probably probably 3 to 7% of all people that actually play baseball, if not less than that anyway. So you're already talking about the best of the best. They just don't get paid like it. Yeah, true story. And it's not like it's more than a drop in the bucket. You mentioned the Toronto Blue Jays, and good for them, talking about how they're going to actually pay their minor leaguers money. Well, it, it's not anything more than a drop in a bucket for, for these teams. It's, like, it's not like they're saying now you have to pay everybody a million dollars. I mean, you could, you could probably make $10 million go down and, and, and last enough for any of these guys. Yeah, and we talk about the big league payroll and, you know, oh, the, the Braves are increasing their payroll by, you know, Opening day payroll is going to go up by $35 million or whatever whatever the number is. I mean, at that point, you might as well just tack another million on and evenly distribute, give like a, a one, one-time one bonus to each of your minor leaguers that wind up surviving the purge. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. This When you get into teams that, that kind of outsource their player development or they have the player development contracts with teams, as opposed to like the Braves who own a lot of their affiliates, you know, I don't know how, how that's going to wind up rippling out to them, but... This is something to keep an eye on, man. And this, this is, I don't know if this is something that is able to be covered in the next CBA, but yet again, like the amount of scandals that have gone on just since the playoffs started has been, you know, because there was the the de-juiced ball, and then there was Brandon Taubman, and then there's sign stealing, and now there's the commissioner is, is going after the players' union because uh, he's... Uh, talking about labor peace and economic relations and are not necessarily synonymous with each other. And, I mean, we're looking at a six- or seven-week span, and then you put contraction of 42 minor league teams and alienation of a giant part of um, America. Like, man, I'm glad I like baseball already, because if I didn't, I really would. <laughs> right. Just, right? It gets, it gets a little bit hard to defend. But getting back to the point here, uh, I know we went off a little bit on the soapbox there, but uh, I do want to take this time for the last 15 minutes or so of the episode. Uh, talk about the 40-man. So the Braves did set their 40-man. I believe they're at 38 players on the 40-man right now. Um, Christian Pache. No, no, no real surprises for me of anybody getting added to the 40-man. Uh, Christian Pache, Tucker Davidson, William Contreras, Jaseel De La Cruz. I think the biggest surprise to the casual Braves fan, or maybe somebody who doesn't get deep into the farm systems like you you and I do, uh, Phil Pfeiffer getting added. It's a guy that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but you and I talked about him a little bit during last year, and just what an insane year it was for him. And Phil Pfeiffer's gone from being somebody that probably wasn't going to even make the minor league squad again, unless it was anything as filler, to being somebody that has a realistic shot at, at having major league service time this year. Yeah, so he was failed reliever. He was he went to Vanderbilt. I think he he played with Dansby at Vandy and was a reliever. He was acquired, I believe it was Bud Norris and Dion Toscano, the the phantom Dion Toscano. I'm still not yeah, I'm still not sure Dion Toscano. No, that he is he is just paperwork. That's that's all he is. Same thing with Carlos Portuondo, who got traded for Brandon Phillips and like eight hundred and ninety grand. But uh but so Pfeiffer was was he was mired and just he couldn't get over the hump as a starter. I mean, he was posting four and a half, five and a half ERAs. I mean, he just didn't have the stuff and 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 he's a little bit older too, so it was getting to that point where he's kind of in that Jason Hirsch realm of I don't really know how long we can continue to do this dance with this guy and then usually you'll see guys going from starter to reliever but he went from reliever to starter and just was pitching out of his mind 
like wasn't walking anybody, was striking out 13.5 per nine. It had a game where he struck out 17 back in July. I mean, this guy, he did every single thing you want, and then he moved up to Gwinnett, and he kind of kept the train rolling. So I think that it was between him and Thomas Burroughs, but for the fact that Pfeiffer can start and, you know, Burroughs wound up getting demoted halfway through the year. They sent him sent him back to Mississippi. So I, I think that they have great faith that nobody's going to be able to take a chance on him for a full year. So Pfeiffer was the only real surprise. I think that once you start looking at guys like Pache, I, we'll see how much he is actually able to contribute in 2020. I think that big, big things are coming for him. I think that he's going to wind up coming up at some point next year. But as far as... Um, you know, we talked about whether he would make the OD roster. I, I certainly don't don't think it's going to be anything like that. He'll contribute, but I think that once you start looking at Tucker Davidson and maybe even Jaseel De La Cruz, I think that they could wind up having big impact for 2020. Davidson more so than De La Cruz would. Oh, Davidson most especially because Davidson has relief work in the past. He's lefty. Uh, I, I think Davidson is the first guy on the 40-man who'd be called up from the minors this year. Um Pfeiffer is one that I do really enjoy. It's such a rare thing for a guy to be a failed reliever and just go bananas as a starter. It's it's not something that you see all that often. Um, I mean, for those of you wondering, well, what about Drew Waters? I mean, no, there's they, they're not down on Drew Waters. It's just the kid's 20 years old. There's no reason to... There's no reason to have him on the 40-man yet when you don't have to. When you have him on the 40-man, you're essentially going to start his Rule 5 clock early. There's no reason to do that. Pache and Waters, I don't think either one is ready at the moment. Uh, Pache would have a higher floor simply for his defense, but I'm sure they do want to see how his offense kind of maintains because it wasn't great when he moved up to Gwinnett. It got better at the end of the year, but during the summer leagues, it hasn't been really great either. Uh, And it's not a case of, oh, well, his offense is just not good. It's just he's got to get adjusted to it. He's never been the guy to be like Acuna and, and just be offensive tools through the roof. He's a guy that's worked hard at it, and he's a little bit more raw coming in. The other question is going to be whether or not they go back to the juice ball, and I think it'd be smart for the Braves to wait to see what baseball is used before they decide what to do with Pache. Uh, You still have Ender there to patrol center field. Uh, At the very least, Pache's coming up in September because he'd he'd be, just to get some experience and to play defense there, at the very least he'd be doing that. Uh, But you and I talked last week about I think Trey Harris would be one of these guys that would be a, a, a surprise ad uh, if anybody were to go down and get injured. Drew Waters is a guy that they haven't lost any amount of faith in. It's just going to be they're going to let him develop his own pace. There's no need to rush him at the moment, especially when you don't have a real spot for him right now that he would be any better than the guys currently in place. Let him develop. Don't ruin a, a guy because you feel like rushing him up there. Go ahead and let him kind of adjust on his own and, and cut that 35% K rate down a little bit. Uh, and, and so you can kind of figure out if that BABIP is for real or not. Yeah, no doubt, man. And I think we still have a ton of questions about Waters. I mean, obviously the kid is a tool shed. He, he can do just about anything, but we're, we still have more questions about how much of everything he's going to be able to do. And, and part of the thing with Waters is like all of the guys that went on the 40, Pache and Contreras and everybody, it has to do with when they entered the system. Pache has been in the system for two years longer than Waters has. So same thing with Ian Anderson. They were not in the position to have to put him on the 40. Don't have him just be dead weight on there if you don't think that there's a possibility that he's going to come up this year and wind up filling that. Now, he certainly could. And and all of this is subject to 
a lot more future roster moves. This does make the path for these five guys. It makes it easier for them. You don't need a corresponding roster move. If Drew Waters is ready, they'll find a way for him. They, you know, they, they have Rafael Ortega on the 40-man right now. They have John Ryan Murphy on the 40-man right now, if I'm not mistaken. So they can. these are easy guys to cut bait with to make room for him. But there's no reason for Waters to come up if he's not if he's not needed for right now. So um it's isn't it weird to think that Christian Pache has been in the system for four and a half years? You know, like I I remember the day. I remember the the day that he got signed. It's just the weirdest weirdest thing. So this That's is what really, happens when you sign somebody at sixteen. Yeah, I know, I know. And um paying that level of attention to the the international J two guys is a certain level of obsession that I'm very uh, pleased that I that I obsess over and and also kind of embarrassed about from time to time. But uh, but yeah, this is a big step. Congratulations to all of these guys, and especially especially for a guy like Phil Pfeiffer who was on the outs with the organization until a couple of months ago. And you know, in guys like Thomas Burroughs, guys like Kurt Hoekstra, who was a converted middle infielder who couldn't really hit, and all the next thing you know, he's throwing ninety five off the mound, and they're just like, yeah, your your days with wood in your hand are done. So. Oh God, I can be. Oh no. Um. Yes, everybody, you just got the moment where Doc realized oh what he God. just said. You see, this is why I have to write ad copy down instead of just going off the top of my head. So, yeah. So, as as it pertains to what you were saying about Trey Harris, you know, if the, if they decide that they they don't want to fast track somebody's uh, service time, if, you know, they he's going to have different considerations than somebody like Waters or Pache. If you're expecting him to come up and be a fourth outfielder type, you know, you might as well just go ahead and roll with something like that as opposed to signing somebody off the scrap heap. You know what I mean? So the other issue here is 40 man spots are already at a premium. So you can't waste spots on guys that, that you're not sure are even going to come up this year. Now I, I think drew could very well come up because he, he might be a guy that's naturally a high Babbitt guy. He hits a lot of hard contact, but at this point he's still a little young and hasn't got a ton of loft on his swing. And I think over time, as he adds a little bit more strength and adds a little bit more loft, uh, a lot of those line drives are going to turn into homers. So his Babbitt will drop naturally, yada, yada, yada. But for now, there's no real need to rush it up there. And there's no real need to create or to, to lose another 40 man spot when you've got you still got at least two positions, probably three or four on the big league club that you have to address, which you obviously you need a 40-man spot for those. Ortega and John Ryan Murphy are both going to go. That's going to leave you at 36. So let's say you get another catcher, 37. So you get a, uh, one starting pitcher, 38. Now let's say you get a third baseman, 39. Now you have to pick between adding another starting pitcher or adding another outfielder for your 40th spot. At that point, if you go beyond that, now all of a sudden you've got to DFA somebody else, which... Chances are, since you've got all of these high-end prospects on the list, there's not many people on the 40-man that you can just cut bait with and expect them to, or DFA, and expect them to end up being back in your organization. You never know. They, they might look at somebody like Chad Sabatka and say, you know, thank you for your service, but you're trending in the wrong direction. Because you know, they have a lot more information than we do. Maybe he's got horrible attitude, or he's uh, gradually declining velocity, or his pitches aren't moving as much, or he's telegraphing his off-speed, or whatever. And they might just say, you're best suited to just go somewhere else. So they outright him off of the 40. You know, maybe he catches on somewhere else. Who, who knows? There, there's any number of things that they could wind up doing here. So the way that... That's right. By the way, I should have said outright it off the 40 instead of just saying DFA, but it, it, it's essentially the same thing. Right. So 
the way that the 40 looks now, as opposed to where it'll look two, three, four months from now, or when opening day rolls around, because opening day is in four months and five days. So hold on, y'all. We're getting there. By the way, when Minter is gone, that'll open up another 40-man spot. Right. And so and there's always more questions, and it comes back to the same question I proposed in segment one, the same question I proposed last week. What now? What next? And that is an answer that I am very, very excited to see. But as for you guys, you're going to be sitting there with us. Whenever we get big news, we're going to do an episode for you, just like we did with the Will Smith Emergency Podcast. So we're going to go ahead and cut the episode there for today as things just don't tend to be wanting to work out for us today. This episode has been um, quite a hassle to record, (laughs) a lot harder than usual episodes to record have been. So while we finally have everything wrapped up where we wanted to go, I think we're going to call it quits for today. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. We enjoyed giving it to you after it finished. Uh, Thank you guys so much. And don't be afraid to get caught with wood in your hand. you did just say you you enjoyed giving it to everybody so (laughs) that being said thank you guys so much we'll catch you next week right here on the platinum sombrero Thanks, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.